Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome Paul Williams. Wow, time travels. And <laughs> Only 40 years. Had, yeah. See this beautiful face ravaged by the forces of time? <laughs> yeah. I think you've done pretty well in 40 years. It's stunning to watch the film because, you know, because of, of just the amazing performance you know, of Bill Finley. It's just, if, you know, it's just you know, to convey the, uh, the, just the, the breadth of emotion from just this total innocent to you know, just this rage and terror and all, with one eye showing. I mean, it's just it's just stunning to me, you know. Now I want to ask you something. I, I read that um, when the film was being conceived, there was originally talk that you might do that role. Brian talked about this kind of weird little guy up in the rafters who was the phantom, you know, like who was throwing things on people. He said, "You you could do that." I said, "I can't do that. I'm not scary, you know." <laughs> and I mean, I, 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 just, I just knew I couldn't do it. I also didn't want to play somebody. He'd you know, he'd come to me first for the music. And so as we're working on the music, and I'm talking about what we're going to ride, what I'm riding, whatever, he, he kind of was, was watching me. He said, what about you doing that? And I said, no, no. You know. I also didn't want people to... For, I didn't want to play somebody whose music was stolen. I thought, you know, people are going to go, oh, he thinks his music's stolen. He's getting uh. back at the record industry. And that's... Uh, I said, let me play the guy who steals the music. <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't know who, I don't know who said it first, but when he pr- said, play Swan, I went, yeah, I, that... You know, the clothes are going to be better. The clothes are really... I thought they were, they were, they were so hip at the time. <laughs> Get me Rosanna Norton on the phone. You know. It's a period piece. It wasn't a period piece when we did it. You know. <laughs> we thought 40, that's yeah. what we were supposed to look like. You know. yeah. And, of course, the studio was originally going to be called... Uh, or the label was going to be called Swan Song. But Swan you could, Song. But and then, of course, there were the problems because somebody else owned the title. And there's all the weird graphic, the you know, electronic graphic floating in front of podium in front of uh, lecterns and the like and all but and the other thing I noticed is like my weight is like I mean I think I was thin and I kind of you know kind of had it together for the start of the movie and then started eating you know there's a craft service so th- there's actually one scene where I, I go into the you know the, the, I think it's the Thursday today is Thursday scene where you see me walk up and it's L.A. I go inside for the Thursday today is Thursday and I think we were in New York for that and then we cut to that's for on on Winslow. When you come back around to cut on me, it's in Dallas or in New York. At any rate, it was like by then I had gained fifteen pounds or something. <laughs> then I walk out and you see me leaving fifteen pounds thinner like that. It's just you know, it's amazing. I mean, I, of course, the ego. That's what I'm sitting there watching, going, "Oh my God, Porky, nice looking, Porky, nice looking." <laughs> uh, so tell us uh, what your original talks were like with Brian De Palma about this project it's such a uh, you get to work in so many different styles it's yeah. amazing that's what was the you know the fact is I was known for the kind of hallmark card lyrics and you know the carpenters and three dog night you know it was so very different from this and it was thank you but you know and I 
But, you know, the, I mean, like my favorite band ever was the original Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. And I loved, you know, just all kinds of, of music. But I was, well, what came out of me was kind of this, you know, you know, ballads, you know, sort of ouch mommy songs. I've been writing codependent anthems my entire life, you know. <laughs> Pick me up and love me songs and and uh, but a, the original thought was that this was it was called Phantom of the Fillmore and it was a very straight t- send up of, of Phantom of the Opera. But as we worked on it, and the interesting thing about working with Brian is that he was just so open to the script evolving and and it was a time when you know with the Vietnam War we, we're sitting watching the the war news, right. eating our TV dinners and it's like this horror story is becoming entertainment you know we're watching the news like it's the evening's entertainment the footage from vietnam and that sort of started to move its way into the into the the story you know my favorite line in the movie is an assassination coast to coast on live television that's entertainment i mean i love that line i love what it says about what the film kind of morphed into and then the other thing was the fact that i looked like you know i i mean i was 34 then i'm 72 now i love saying that i'm 72 (laughs) I feel I feel like a really tired 37, you know. But uh, but I think I looked, you know, with the long hair and the kind of the Haley Mills look-alike period that I was in. I think that he jumped into the idea of the the Dorian Gray thing, and it it it, it involved, you know. I I wish I had a copy of the original script so I could tell you how far. It really changed. I find that the longer I live with it, that it turns out that I probably had less to do with the changing of the script than I thought I did. I think that as you mature and you look at somebody's genius and you, and you kind of get a, a kind of a, a larger global view of what happened, I just look back on, on the experience with just extreme gratitude for working with Brian and, and just the brilliance of, of the cast. As I said, Bill Finley, George Memoli, who's so good, who passed away, has gone also. And, and Jessica Harper, there's just one quick story about... <laughs> we, we were casting, Brian and I were casting uh, in New York, and, and the you know, girls were... were, were I had everybody sing uh, Long ago and oh so far away I fell in love with you before the second show uh, The great Leon Russell song Which was kind of like where I wanted I, I thought that would be one to show the voice Because I was starting to work on, on I, was, I, I was either writing Old Souls Or had, had written it but so I wanted them to sing something that they knew. And Jessica was singing to herself. I walked up behind her. And she was going, Our love, long ago and oh so far away, I fell in love with you before the second show. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, just this <laughs> wonderful voice. And then she came into audition for, for Brian. And it was like, long ago. And I, and I said, you know, no, no, sing it to yourself like you did out front. And I think that's kind of where that, that moment in the, in the film, you know, came from. But. She was just stunning, you know. Yeah. 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 What, what's your feeling about the reception of the film? I talked in the beginning about how it was kind of a surprise, um, how how poorly it did initially when it came out, and you've lived with it over the years. I'm sure people come up to you all the time and talk about it. You know, I think one of the things that the reason that people love the film in the, as much as they did is because everybody else just so totally dismissed it. You know, I think that there were a lot, a lot of people that I meet that they have a kind of a sense of ownership about the film. You know. Um, the the there were little girls who would come up to me and say, you know what, that's amazing. The, the, that thing about the story about he sold his soul to the devil. Did you make that up? And, then, <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, you know, there was this whole, you know, that we kind of that sort of preexisted, you know. But uh, 
Uh, hold on, I have to, I'm sorry, I have, hold that for just a second. Sure. I absolutely have to clean my glasses. Okay. They're, they're totally, totally blaring in the light, and I want to see everybody out there. But, get to a certain age, you take care of your own comforts immediately, you know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's odd because it, I, I don't know why, you know, God bless the Winnipeg, God bless the Peggers because, you know, it became a, a gold album because of Winnipeg, you know. But the other so, city yeah. that... So what, what was the, uh, your explanation about that? Because... Uh, there is no, you know... Cause I, like, a few years ago, you, there was um, an event called Fantapalooza, Fantapalooza. Well, in, Winni- in Winnipeg, right? And uh, if you watch the uh, Still yeah. Alive, Paul Williams Still Alive, the documentary, the first scenes in that are, are at Fantapalooza, where Steve Kessler, the filmmaker, followed me up there. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, we've talked about it. There was, it's interesting because the film was, was hugely successful in Paris as well. Paris and Winnipeg, there's so much alike, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's explain that. I think that I was such a kind of a non-threatening, uh, you know, I, I find that a lot of the people that really fell in love with the film in Winnipeg were young girls of a certain age, and I think that the, the kind of ar- archetypical, you know, immense drama of this great story, you know, was, was new to a lot of them. These elements that are, that are old stories were new to them. I think that I was very kind of androgynous and non-threatening. You know, I could kind of be the cute little guy on the screen that, you know, that was, that was not threatening. I, the quick, quick, honest answer is I don't know why. It was, I know that, that the thrill of the picture for me is, is being able to, to satirize all the different kinds of music that yeah, I so love how, so much. Talk and a just, bit about how you do that. This is something also that you, it's a little bit different than what you're doing at Ishtar, but there's a yeah. way that you're satirizing the music, but it's catchy. It's, it's like terrific, and, and you're also satirizing at the same time. Well, I, you know, I, I love, I, I'm a huge Beach Boys fan, you know, so doing, it was great, you know, to, to take Faust and, and or whatever we were, the, the initial song was and warp it into a, a Beach Boys sound, you know, carburetors, man, that's what life is all about, you know, <laughs> just, you know. And, and, you know, the, the lines in it, like, you know, of all life's mysteries, the greatest one I've seen, tell me why my short runs better when it's clean. We've all had that experience. Your car seems to run better when it's been washed. I, you know, I don't know. I just, I love the Beach Boys, uh, the, the, you know, creating the music of the spheres, the kind of stuff that was, for, you know, for the big final scene and all, was just, you know, trying to find something that had just a, a great feel to it. I had great musicians and there was a guy named Ray Kennedy who I loved. I loved Ray's voice. The one thing I'm a little... There are twice, two times in my life that I have dubbed a, an actor's voice. And both of them I, I regret. There are two times that I really regret. One is I, I, every now and then I, in the middle of the night I kind of go, you put somebody else's voice in Jodie Foster's mouth mm-hmm. in Bugsy Malone. And I go, oh my God, I should have let Jodie Foster sing her own songs in Bugsy Malone. And when I listened to Ray Kennedy, or when I listened to, to uh, Garrett uh-huh. in the shower, that's Garrett's own voice, you know, life at last. And it's so close. I went, you know what? You should have let him do his own vocal on, on, lust, on, uh, on uh, life at last. And, mm. But it's too late to change it. What the hell? <laughs> You know, but yeah, I, I loved Ray Kent. I just, you know, I just tried to attack it with with humor and and uh, with great musicians. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's ta- let's open it up and take a few I'd questions from the that. audience. So right over here, and I'll repeat them so everybody can hear. Oh, what's your consideration? Been, just uh, yeah, just everybody here is uh, has there been consideration of turning this into a musical? 
So many times uh, yeah. before I die, I'm hoping that sometime within the night, I don't know what kind of years I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, manage to tack onto where I am right now, but I, I would like to think that before I hit room temperature, I'll get to see, <laughs> I'll get to see this, wonderful, this, this on stage because I think it's a natural. We tried to do it back in the late 80s. You know, the late 80s were an interesting time. I wrote some additional songs for it and all. The late 80s were an interesting time for me because those were the Ishtar years. I wasn't really in my body in those years. You know, I just, this March 15th, I'll celebrate 23 years of continuous sobriety. So this was, this was, this was pre-hardcore alcoholism work. It wasn't Ish- Ishtar that led you to Ishtar drink. Ishtar was, was kind of in, in the... <laughs> Ishtar, I was... By then, I was, you know... Well, you, know, you know you're an alcoholic when you misplace a decade. I misplaced the 80s. You know? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I went, you're telling me that Reagan was president? Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> How did it? But, but I think that there was... The, the, oh, the question was about making a musical out of it. I, there has been conversation about it. Uh, there's, you know, it just, it's liable to happen someday. I know that, that I'm ready and, and there's some additional material written. I think that Brian feels the same way that when the right situation comes up, when the, when the, when the checks are drawn and the, uh, the, the opportunity is there so far in about 23 years, it hasn't happened, but since we've been talking about it, maybe it will. Okay. Over here. You'll have to leave now. <laughs> I was a nine-year-old boy living in Winnipeg. Yay. The movie was coming to town. I was too young to see it. So my mom bought me the paperback and the album. Wow. So thank you for that. And I have two questions. First off, what happened to the wardrobe? And secondly, how did the, the hell of it Brady Bunch thing come about? Okay, so oh, what happened to the wardrobe, and then how did the hell of it Brady Bunch thing come about? Because I was such a media whore by then, I just, you know, all you had to do was ask me, and I would show up. I always said, if you put down a, that's really what the movie still, Paul Williams Still Alive is about, is because I just, you know, I, I you know, after Phantom, and, I, you know, I, all of a sudden I was doing The Tonight Show all the time. I mean, it was like a once a month kind of, a, I did The Tonight Show 48 times, I remember six is the way I describe it, but... <laughs> But yeah, it was just you know the, they had asked me to do a Brady Brady the, the, that special and what did you know what do you want to do and and uh, I don't know if it was their idea or not but they wanted me to sing sing the hell of it or or I suggested singing anything to get people to have some awareness of the of the movie and try to get some bodies in the seats which didn't really work very well in those times. But, well, I don't know what happened to the wardrobe, but as as I was I'm sitting with Tracy Jackson who is my writing partner and we're writing a, a, a actually a self-help book about recovery and, and the only thing that was this mild distraction for the movie is every now and then she would go with the shirt where does that shirt go? look at that outfit you know so I sat there while she made fun of everything I wore <laughs> okay more questions go ahead go ahead if anybody wants to
Oh, okay. So she was asking what, what films were influences to Brian De Palma. Well, I think he I mean, was a huge, huge Hitchcock fan. Yeah. I think that's cl- been clear through the years and all. I mean, the, the recreation of the shower scene was, was amazing. Incidentally, somebody should, should share with you something that and during the, the, all that concert footage and the shower scene, Garrett Graham had like a 104-degree temperature. He was so sick he couldn't hardly walk. Wow. And in the midst of that, maybe do you remember that? He was just so ill and, and you know, would, would go back in his dressing room and just lay there all, and like near death and then get up and do that amazing performance and all. So uh, a side note, just I'm a huge, huge fan. He's, he's so good. It's, he's, he steals the film. He's amazing. Um, but I think, I think that, that Brian had, had a... Uh, a, 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 as I say, a real love affair with with Hitchcock. He had a great sense of of, of moving camera. There's a shot in there. I don't know if you know know the one I'm talking about, but the shot where 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 the Phantom gets his costume. That's Ronnie Taylor, the 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 camera operator, who later became a, a cinematographer and won the Oscar for uh, for uh, Gandhi. Mm. It was him with carrying a camera on his shoulder because there was no Steadicam yet going up and down those stairs again and again and again to get the shot so it would end up with the camera, with the mask over the camera and all. It's just brilliant camera work. You know, uh, it would be a great question for, uh, for Brian, and I should have probably said at the very beginning of this, of this long answer, I don't know, you'll have to ask Brian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right over here. That's, I think, the last thing Rod Serling ever recorded was the swan. He has no other name, yeah. Your performance was like, I don't know if it was informed by Twilight Zone episodes or characters within Twilight so, Zone, but so, there's yeah, something he's a, so understated about thank it. Thank you. And then when you see the reflection where you, see, where you sign the devil, where you sign your soul to the devil, yeah. I, I just want to know what informed... Could you talk about your performance? Because there's something very understated and sort of sinister. My, uh, yeah. My favorite scene, as far as my performance in the film, I'm really proud of the bathtub scene because you see Swan before he became, you know, Swan, you know, know, inhabited by, you know, by the big, ugly, downstairs guy, you know. But I think that, that, that you know, my thought was that the devil, if if Swan is in fact, you know, an incarnation of the devil, that he, he would have to just be so charming and so slick, you know, and... I think it. I think the performance really begins for me with 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 Swan's reaction to you know when he's finally has the knife to his throat as he comes out and, and there's Winslow and he's like immediately just you know we've been looking for you everywhere he's just you know he's just so slick and charming and and you know and uh, and so evil so lovingly you know beautifully evil it was great to play him but the best scene for me, the, the scene that was so exciting to do was the scene in the bathtub where you see this guy, this sick little guy who's just afraid of getting old, you know, and, and, uh, and you hear what he sounded like then, you know, to, it's just, it, was, it was just great fun. I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. I wish you wrote for a major newspaper. <laughs> oh, do you remember where? Uh, yeah, could you? Yeah, no. No, no, not really. I, Brian doesn't work. I, you know, 
it's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, I would love it if, if Bill, who made so many films with Brian, could yeah. give you a much better in, input about, about that. But Brian, I don't remember Brian giving any of us a lot of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of direction. I think that he, I think that his amazing work is in is in creating a story and a script and an environment. You know, and and I, you know, you have to understand. I had such a massive had and have, you know, uh, especially then an ego that was a little out of balance. I, you know, I was in the middle of my what I really want to do is direct period. And I remember walking <laughs> up to Brian. We were we were shooting at the Majestic Theater in Dallas, and he's, he's moving the camera up to shoot footage of me up on the balcony, and then he's moving the camera down to shoot something. I did. He's going back up here, and I and I walked up and I said, you know, any idiot would know that if you put a Chapman crane on the stage, all you have to do is swing the arm back and forth. And Brian's lining up a shot without even looking away from the shot he was lining up. He said the stage won't support a Chapman crane, and uh, I went. <laughs> Okay, I went back into the little you know dressing room and sat down and would just keep your mouth shut, Paul. You know, <laughs> uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. I think that he had a, a, a relation, you know, a, a relationship with with went with uh, with Bill Finley and uh, and with the other actors and all that that was that was possible. You know, there were moments that you, you watch a director like you like him or like you know some of the guys that I worked with through the years. The best ones will take an actor. And, and and it's a private moment between the two of them. So he never sat at the back of the room and said, uh, uh, "Jessica, you need to be this or you need to be that." If he said anything, I th- I think he probably took took her or or me aside and, and said quietly, "This should be, this is getting a little big. Maybe want to tone it down a little." Or or you know or or his ver- every every actor every director has their way of saying two words louder and faster. You know it's like louder and faster, louder and faster. Don't take a moment with pass the salt, pass the salt. You know? <laughs> You're asking for salt, pass the salt. You know? So do you still want to direct? No, 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 no. What I, you know what? I have an amazing day job. Four years ago, I was elected president and chairman of the board of ASCAP, and it's been uh, the most. The most amazing honor of my life is to is to to have a chance to. There are two things I'm intensely passionate about. I'm passionate about my recovery. I speak often at a public level ab- about my recovery, and 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 incidentally, it's my drunkalog is very boring. I never came out of a blackout with a Russian arms dealer. I never came out of a blackout with a Norman Baylor and a couple hookers in in Paris. I'd come out of a blackout at the boys' department of Sears, you know, trying on. <laughs> Trying on sweaters, is, you know. <laughs> but but I'm passionate about recovery and I'm passionate about creators' rights, music creators' rights, film creators' rights. As we've moved into the digital age, you know, it's amazing. If I pay something to have delivered more promptly from Amazon, I have to pay more money. But they can get my songs like that or your films like that online and stream it, and they want to give you pennies instead of dollars, and it isn't fair. And I want all the people that are downloading music or, or streaming music, all the kids that are sitting looking at this world in the little rectangle of their computers, I want them to know that we don't want to shut any of that music off. We don't want anybody to be fighting for the music. We don't want to take anything away. We don't want to control the Internet. What we want to do is what, we did, what was done in radio, which made such amazing sense, is that radio gave you the music free, and then they sold advertising. And the songwriters and the publishers and the composers got a little tiny percentage of all that, that 
advertising income. And that's what has to happen. That's what needs to continue to happen in a larger fashion uh, in the Internet. We want the music to keep playing. But we, want, we want there to be enough of, a, of an income in it to make a viable living for the songwriters, for the comp- composers, and please God, for the filmmakers. And the film composers have an especially difficult time right now with, 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 uh, with the, the new digital world. So it's, it's wonderful to be able to, when somebody you know, sits down in front of me and puts the microphone in my hand, I will always take an opportunity to say, please, you know, uh, have a sense of what is fair to the songwriter, the filmmaker, the creator. <laughs> it's amazing. Did, I, it's did a, I, if I may, it's may amazing. I say thank you for this amazing honor of, of sitting here and being able to talk about my front four different films and four different nights. What an amazing honor for, you know, for, you know especially what two of the films are films that... Even my family didn't go to see Ishtar. <laughs> it's like it's, it's I think so we're really, the ones who are going to say thank you to you for well, being thank here. Thank you. So. Thank you. It's really great. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, well, we're going to see you back over the weekend. I, I, I said there's a surprise with Ishtar. We can't say who's going to be here, but she directed the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And wrote it. Um, so come back for that tomorrow. There's some real treats with, along with the Muppet movie. The Muppet movie, incidentally, for the Muppet movie, you know, like Craig Sherman is here right now. He's going to be here tomorrow. Uh, uh, Kenny Asher is going to be here with me, who co-wrote all the songs for the Muppet movie. So if you come back, we can talk about Kermit and Gonzo on My Best Friends. And know? we do have a piano over here. So. There's a piano over there. If Kenny's with me, we might even do it too. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.